0: Gotta love the ECV shout out. Uh, As Nate said, I'm Josh Williams, lead pastor here. And I'm so excited that you're here with us. Um, We, as Nate said, are still in the middle of Lent, still in the middle of our series, but this is the second to last live stream Next week will be the last one that we'll have, and then we'll meet in person, outdoors. Really excited for this time. I think we've all been very excited, including like, with our whole city, that it's getting warmer. I know that's going to, um, it's New Haven, right? So it's going to still be like, okay, is it warm today? Is it cold? But at least we're asking, is it warm? Like, that's a great question to ask together. Uh, so I'm excited to continue us into our series on Drawing Near. I want you to first imagine something with me. Picture this. You're in your high school cafeteria. For some of you, this will involve a time machine going forward. For some of you, a time machine going back. You see groups of people sitting down together, including the group that you're you know, kind of in a clique with. Then you see a kid at a table all by themselves. You uh, know this kid. You know, we, we all know this kid. Some of us have been this kid. They might be sitting alone because they don't like talking to people, maybe they're not that great at social interactions, or maybe it's because of how they dress or don't dress maybe the color of their skin, what their parents do for a living. It could almost be anything that keeps that kid at a table by themselves. But they're alone, and you're looking at them, maybe even like staring. And you haven't realized that you've been standing in the same place, like staring at them for like a few minutes. And now people are looking at you, like all eyes are on you, including that table of the folks you sit with, and actually including the person who's sitting alone. Your table looks suspiciously towards you as they talk to one another, kind of glancing at each other, then back to you, and then that one person at the table looks hopeful. What do you do? A few questions race through your mind. It's not really where should I sit, if we're honest, and it's not even how can I help. Instead, it's probably something more like this. How can I draw near without getting hurt, without a consequence? How can I draw near without suffering? We all have an instinct to help, but what will the cost be? It's the second question that usually makes our instinct turn into an action until that instinct is dulled into a very quiet whisper. Sometimes it's like we can't even hear it at all. Those questions don't end in a cafeteria in high school. How many of us ask a version of this question, perhaps regularly? How can I love the city of New Haven while still feeling safe and feeling like my time is my own? How can I care for the struggling parent at my kid's school without getting caught up in all their drama? How can I love my spouse or partner well without investing too much time listening or maybe too much time apologizing for the past? Aren't we through with that yet? Some of these questions come from a godly place of boundaries and wisdom, but many times that is the veneer that we can pull back. We can see that there's a layer, a deep layer, for not drawing near that's mostly self-protection. How can I do this without suffering? I know I ask this question all the time. I I think about a time in my life when Tina and I were thinking about becoming foster parents several years ago now, and we wondered, is there a way around the pain of what our instructors called a chosen loss, A decision you have to make to create space in your heart for someone who might not stay with you, or if they do stay with you, there'll be memories you'll never fully know or understand. A chosen loss. We were so motivated, so moved by this call to create space for family, but our hearts kept asking the same question over and over again, and we weren't unique. Everyone that was in the class was kind of wondering, is there a way to do this without the hurt? Is there a way to do this without the suffering? Is there a way to do this without pain? A chosen loss, our instructors kept saying to us. Our own questioning back and forth taught us something. You cannot draw near without the possibility of suffering. Ask Jesus, who when he drew near, received consequences and cost. Cost for everything, his his whole life. In our series, Drawing Near, The Blood That Opens A New and Living Way, we need to be honest that a new and living way was only opened because of Jesus' sacrifice, his godly suffering. We receive this new and living way freely when we accept Jesus' sacrifice for us. But it turns out this blood does something, though. It does something to us. It makes us open to sacrificing for the sake of Jesus and the neighbors that Jesus has called us towards, This is scary, that openness, that possibility, that desire even, to serve, even to the point of hurt, to pain, to suffer. And yet, openness doesn't mean blind obedience, and openness also doesn't mean there aren't options to consider. We remain people who have a choice in what our sacrifice looks like, but we know that a posture that refuses to suffer, or does not get close to anyone who is suffering, that's not going to be good or helpful for us. This is our dilemma. And let me just throw like a a timely maybe wrench in our collective tension around godly suffering and emulation of Jesus' sacrifice for us. As Nate said, this is the anniversary of when COVID-19 hit home to ECV, changing our services for more than a year, changing our habits in our world and in our city for more than a year We're marking a year where the main messaging around 12 months ago last March was, unless you're trained, unless you're an expert, just stay at home. That's the best way to serve. It's the best way to reduce suffering. In ways that completely make sense, don't get me wrong, completely make sense given the nature of a pandemic, we were directed to isolation. We were given more instructions and messaging around ordering takeout than helping our neighbors. That's just what happened. And a year later, we need to ask the question, how has that shaped us? Who have we become? What are some of our instincts now a year into this? What might Jesus need to say to reorient us? As this reality of this pandemic seems to be shifting, hopefully, like by God, hopefully, more towards an endgame than the shock of a new way of living last March or the doldrums of a September where there seemed no way out. Things are different now. This march one year later is different. But it would be so easy for bad habits of isolation and self-protection to become part of whatever this new normal will end up becoming. To begin our reflection, we need to answer two sets of questions. First, how have I suffered this year? Did I invite anyone to care for me in my suffering? Did anyone respond? And second, did I help those suffering this year? Did I get close to people in pain, and who supported me as I did this work of drawing near? Now, I want to say something here. You know for those who are health professionals or essential workers, that answers here are all too easy to respond to. Of course you suffered, and of course you helped others. And I want to thank you, like even publicly on this live stream, for being the face of Jesus to our city and beyond. I hope our church brought you a sense of care and comfort. And where we did, I celebrate. And where we didn't do that in the way that we needed to, I mourn and ask for forgiveness. You all responded to God's call to not grow weary and well-doing. And you provided that care that our city so desperately needed. Thank you for that. And for others of us, the questions remain before us. How have you suffered this year? What have you carried? How did you help those who suffered this year? And did you get close to their pain? A year later, these are good questions to ask. These are right questions to ask. I think the Spirit's even inviting us to answer these questions. So before we continue, I want to invite the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts as those questions reveal more and more of what God is doing, not just individually, but collectively as we're a community together before the Lord. So let's pray. Join me, please. Holy Spirit, pray that you would come and fill this room. Be the God that invites us to a question and be the God that invites us to wrestle, to respond to you. As we get stuck, as we fumble forward, as we find hope in being with you in reflection, Be with us, God. Come and have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. For the rest of our time, we're going to continue forward in Hebrews chapter 10. It gives us a particular take on this work of suffering. Remember, Remember that this ancient sermon of Hebrews gives us a picture of the early church that's in formation. They know Jesus' suffering was the seed for their own empowerment the people that would be listening to their sermon. They know that what Jesus did on the cross was for them. It's why they can become followers of Jesus, why they're empowered to follow the Savior that suffered for them. And they also know that Jesus' suffering was very similar to the persecution they were experiencing as a young community following the witness of Jesus. Jesus' sufferings didn't seem far off, more like their kind of everyday experience, the stories that they heard about. This was their reality. So we're going to pick up at verse 32. But recall those earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. After warning the church about the danger of sin that Patrick talked about last week, the author of Hebrews goes directly to this point. We're picking up right where Patrick left off, asking the community to remember The early days where this community endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes because they were publicly exposed themselves, and other times because they were partnering with people who were experiencing that suffering. It seems like in the early church, you suffered one way or another. There were no other true options for belonging. You suffered either because you were experiencing real persecution yourself, or you were partners with someone else who was experiencing that suffering. That's just the way it went didn't seem like there were many other options. Maybe that's why this is right after the sin passage. Like, hey, if you're really here in this community, like giving yourself over to God, like dealing with your sin in community, then we know we've got to remember this other thing that can keep us from being one another's, can keep us from God, this work of suffering. But there's a way of doing that. And the key here is that the author of Hebrews calls the community to Remember. That's the first step, is we actually don't forget our suffering as the people of God. We remember our suffering, and we invite God into that remembrance. We remember our suffering. We don't ignore it. It's so easy for us to forget suffering if we live in a fantasy where it just simply doesn't exist somehow for us, maybe us alone in that fantasy. The author here challenges us to remember right after his warning against sin, what sin does is it numbs us, right? It makes us forget God's vision for the world, God's calling that he has in our lives. And remembrance is painful, but it orients us to how God has been using us and others for good, even if it's been crushed on other sides, even if it's been hurt, even if it's been rough, God's still been using us. In the world of Hebrews, they would have easily remembered suffering themselves or suffering with someone else. That's just the context of their lives. That might be different for some of us. It might be harder to remember. I wanna just do a little review and exercise with you. As you look at your last five years of life, is this a rhythm you see? Either an experience of suffering yourself or joining someone else in that suffering. Either maybe suffering from some godly positioning in your life or maybe you've had a significant season of walking with someone else who is suffering because of some of the way they sought to follow Jesus or endure. If so, how have you dealt with that? Have you barely survived? Did you do that work of going through suffering on your own? Did it make you more isolated, even from the church, even from ECV? Or did you find that it deepened your relationships with God and with others? Maybe you do see in those last five years that time of suffering— either yourself or being with others? Or do you find that there's been a significant time in those last five years where you had stretches of self-protection, not a season of rest or not a season of grace where God rejuvenated you and refilled your capacity, but times where you knew, you pulled back, where you chose distance and isolation before it was mandated by the CDC. You said, I'm a study in this. I got this. Don't worry about me a year ago. Like, I know how to do this. Where has God been in that for you when you look at your last five years and there's some significant time stretches of just self-protection? Suffering is a revealer. It either draws us together or it isolates us. Suffering almost always breaks us. But the question is, does it break us open to a new level of depth where we let God and our community sit with us in this new level of being deep, broken before one another? Or does it simply break us? crushing us in isolated pieces. Even though it's still possible for us to fit together, however crushed or broken we are, we just kind of remain kind of in a broken isolation. That's the question for us. In which way are we being broken? In which way do we find ourselves as we feel maybe in pieces sometimes? The author of Hebrews believes suffering can be something that actually unites the church and draws it towards its mission. We'll pick up again in verse 34. For you had compassion for those who were in prison, and you cheerfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves possess something better and more lasting. Do not therefore abandon that confidence of yours. It brings a great reward, for you need endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. The author highlights realities for the community of faith, people's compassion for folks who are imprisoned, most likely for their faith in Jesus, people they, brought, they tried to bring to God even in their suffering, people being public about their commitments to Jesus and the commands that he invites us into, it actually made them targets of robbery and theft. They leaned into reality that they possessed something greater than what was ever stolen. That's crazy to me, that this is just kind of the plain-spoken reality of the church at the time. So much of our modern-day disobedience is about a protection, if we're honest, a protection of our finances, of our ability to even make money in order to be self-sufficient, to be kings and queens of our apartments or our homes. We want to be able to be protected, and money gives us that power. And yet here, the author of Hebrews is saying, because followers of Jesus possess something better, something more lasting, they can accept plunder with cheer. That seems very strange to me. That seems very foreign to my own life and also the life of the church. In one short verse, we see that this community, this community of Hebrews, does not belong to the world of swift outrage, of offense, of self-justification, or even justice-seeking for one's own gain. They are convinced that they have something better in Jesus' blood and all that that path entails. What does that look like? We can see a hint of that in verse 35. We actually do receive something, a confidence, an assurance, a trust that God is who he says he is because of Jesus' blood. Because of that, we can lean into suffering, either our own or someone else's. When we do that, we need endurance in order for us to see God's promise manifesting here in our lives, here or in eternity. I love this. I love this passage offers that exchange of confidence for endurance. I don't produce endurance. I can't do that. I cannot make myself have enough energy or enough fortitude for the kinds of things God wants to call me towards. What I can provide is confidence, assurance, trust, however small, however weak, however minuscule. And I can give it to God. We can actually start with a prayer. God, would you just give me a little bit of confidence, a little bit of trust in who you are and what you can do? I can't produce endurance, but if I have that trust or faith, would you turn that into the endurance I need for this next season of my life? And God gives us back endurance so we can see what has been promised to us come into fruition in some way. How many of us can go back to a year ago? On March 14, 2020, I had not had the endurance to run the race that I've run for a year. Honestly, when our childcare options completely shut down, I didn't know if I had a race to run, even for a month. I just didn't know what was in me. But I invited God to bless a small amount of confidence, a small amount of confidence that God would guide ECV, my family, my marriage, and my own life. That has been more than enough. Offering a simple, humble prayer, and watching God do something with that. You're here a year later, and you're watching our ECV live stream, doing community with us still. Did you have the endurance for a year of this on March 14th last year? And an endurance for whatever it's been that's been your story. Did you have that on that day? My guess is you didn't. But did you have a small prayer, a small place of confidence that God had gotten you through something hard before, so maybe God could do it again? Did someone come alongside you to help you and to lift you up? Maybe it was just a prayer minister. Maybe it was someone from a triad that you belong to. Maybe it was someone in your family just saying a prayer over you, giving your story to God and blessing you. Maybe you did that for someone else. There is a reward in letting God build endurance in you, even if it starts from a humble prayer. We're stronger than we think when we let God take a mustard seed of faith and let God turn it into a year of somehow remaining connected in a pandemic. God somehow blessing a year of sleeplessness, dizzying childcare arrangements, new financial risks and challenges we couldn't even dream of. Maybe for you who are a little younger in our community, a year of youth group on Zoom, school on Zoom, seeing grandparents on Zoom, And when it wasn't Zoom, having delays and quarantines galore related to in-person learning. But it hasn't just been this pandemic either in the last year. God's taken this strange year and given us a deeper awareness of racial justice and our call to get involved and to be involved as peacemakers. A call to the city around us that we've been more connected to than ever before because it's going to take all of us to get out of this situation. And a conviction that getting healthier ourselves may be the way to make our city healthier. Maybe it's been your own breakthroughs, your own challenges that you're working through and asking for God's help. And did you know that you had endurance for that on March 14th, 2020? And do you know now that God has kept you, that God's protected you, that God's been with you? And whatever small prayer you prayed or someone prayed for you has actually been enough for you to still be here with the Spirit by your side. But do you want to remember that story or will we forget it? and try to live in this fantasy of just simply not suffering, when that's exactly what we've been through this past year together. As the inevitable cloud of COVID crisis and hurt and suffering lifts, as more shots get into more arms, we have some sneaky, dark, and familiar questions that will begin to haunt us again, as we can once imagine, again, a fantasy of a life without suffering. It's a lie. We can imagine it, we can be tantalized by it. We can choose it. How can I live without getting hurt? How can I live without suffering? Accepting life through the filtration of those questions does not have to be our inevitable reality. That's not what we have to choose together, ECV. We have a choice to say that one pandemic may have ended, hopefully, someday soon, but the multiple pandemics of sin, suffering, and injustice continue to reign. Will we change our question? for the glory of God and the well-being of people. will We shift from how can I do this without suffering to God, in your mercy, will you show me where you are in the suffering? Help me find you and follow you. God, in your mercy, will you show me where you are in the suffering, my own or others, help me find you and follow you? Show me where you are in the suffering of a person without steady housing in our city. Help me find you and follow you. Show me where you are in the suffering of someone who is not that excited for our church to be in person again because of hurts they uh, have with our community. Help me find you and follow you. Show me where you are in my own suffering as I choose not to pretend everything is okay, maybe for the first time, and I lean into the pains and wounds of this last year. Help me find you and follow you, even in my own story. We can ask God to show us where he is in suffering, and he'll show up. That's what he does. It's what he did for this community of Hebrews, this community in the early church. It's what he's willing to do for us here at ECV, because we can have confidence in the one who gives us endurance. We can have trust in the one who shed his blood to open a new and living way, We can have faith in the one who loves the faithless and still gives us a reason to hope somehow, not because of what we have, not because of what we can even offer, but it's simply because we're around, we're present, and we're wondering, God, what can you do with my life? The author of Hebrews says it this way, for yet in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. ECV, as we hear more and more about a lifting up out of this pandemic someday, somehow, as we hear more and more about people stepping into a normal, as we have stimulus cash in our pockets, let's be real, and we begin to imagine what it can do for us, we shrink back to self-protection and isolation that is not per the CDC's recommendation, but is actually our own choosing? Or will we choose to say with cheerful abundance that this new and living way meets suffering with the power of Jesus' blood? And as a result, will we invite others into our suffering and choose to walk with others in theirs? Will we say together as a community, God, in your mercy, will you show me where you are in the suffering, help me find you, and follow you? We do a life of remembrance, praying a humble prayer, saying, God, I have this tiny amount of confidence. Would you bless me with endurance? And would we join others in their suffering and invite others into our own? As we transition in our service, I just wanna pray that the Holy Spirit would come in this room, wherever you are, with whoever you're with, that the Holy Spirit would come. I have a question for you at this time. It's going to be on the screen, and it's simply a question of what have you been carrying? What's a place of suffering for you from this past year? Maybe you've known that you're carrying it. Maybe this talk helps reveal it. Maybe the Spirit will speak very soon and tell you what it is that you've been carrying because at six we'll have an opportunity to actually you know, write those things down. That's what I wanna encourage you to do now, to write those things down and then to lay them down physically. You can do this now in your home. You can do it now and then come. Uh, it doesn't matter. But I feel like there's a power in writing that down. There's a power in coming together in community to lay down the suffering you've experienced and to have the option of doing it in community this way and then in a little bit, that that would be one of the starting things we do together at six p.m. What are you carrying? And I actually wanna invite us into a brief time of silence to let the Spirit animate this time. Maybe we know what we've been carrying or maybe it's gonna be a time where the Spirit speaks to us about what we've been carrying. And because God knows that, because God sees us writing that down, like he wants to be with us in it. And he actually wants other people to be in that as well. So Holy Spirit, I pray as we're quiet right now, that you would give us the courage to, maybe we've had a chance to jot that down on a piece of paper. Maybe it's in our mind, this question of what we've been carrying and our response to it. But either way, would you bring silence right now and stillness to us? You're the God of remembrance. and We're asking you to help us remember. even from last year to today? What have we been carrying? Where have we experienced suffering? Where have we gone to you and others and where have we stuffed it inside ourselves, forgotten it, not prayed a prayer of confidence, but hoped for just what we had inside to be enough, not sharing it with anyone. God, in this time of silence, would you speak to us? Come, Holy Spirit. This weight of what you're remembering uh, feels intense. And just invite you to breathe, to slow down, to breathe in, and to breathe out. To invite the Spirit's presence to be close to you even now. To remember that you're not alone even if you're in your room alone, but you have people who are doing the same exercise right now with you. that God is this God that's opened up a new and living way for us. That Jesus is familiar with suffering. It's his suffering that gets us the power of his blood to be something that we can receive from, receiving from his sacrifice. If you're able, just even take a second to thank God in your words and a posture of your heart, to be grateful to God's work and what he's done and in the possibilities that gives us. Here are a few invitations for us. The first is to remember, that's big. Remember, remember God's presence in your sufferings this past year. That can feel costly, it can feel hard, but God doesn't want us to live lives of forgetfulness, not being aware of where God has been, or even places where we struggle to see God. God still wants us to remember. God also wants us to reflect on the last year and to ask God to be present to your current sufferings. To just ask God, invite him in. If that's something new for you because you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, I invite you to even just start that process. Say, Jesus, I want to invite you in to the suffering, but I think I have to invite you into my life first. God, just come into my life in a new way. Be my God. Help me follow you. And third, ask someone to join you in your suffering or join someone in theirs. Sometimes it's easy to say, oh, yeah, God knows my suffering. Like, I'm good. But have you told anyone? Have you joined someone else as they've told you theirs? turns out in a weird way, sometimes our comfort with things, with God, can be tested by have we actually told another human being. It's easy to feel like it can just be an individual relationship with who we are with God. But sometimes that depth and that power comes as we say, because we're so confident in who God is and what God's doing to me, I can share this with someone else. I can open up about my own suffering. I can even listen to others and hold theirs with care. I don't have to fix something right away. I just can listen and can pray.